everybody. Welcome back to From the Suggestion Box, Navigating Feedback, the Good, the Bad, and the Say What? I am so happy and pleased to have two phenomenally amazing and hilarious guests with me this evening. We have Mr. Eric Blay and Adrian Beaudry. I am so thrilled to have both of them here um, to talk about the work that they had um, published with Aaron Spink. But before we go into that, I want to ask each of them to introduce themselves. Oh, well, well. <laughs> thanks. thanks for having us. Uh, so I'm Adrian. Um, I've been involved in the sector volunteer engagement uh, specifically for about 25 years now. Um, and um, I'm one of those rare birds that also uh, I wanted to do this my entire life. So this is specifically what I went to school for. Um, and what wow. I know, right? So um, I've always worked as a volunteer engagement professional, and I've always been involved with professional associations. So I was a member of my local ABA, my Association for Volunteer Administrators. Um, I was a member of PAVRO, which is the uh, Provincial Association for Volunteer Administrators in Ontario. Uh, and then I've also been involved with my national association, which is VMPC, um, which is Canada wide. Um, I've always been involved and I love, love, love what I do most days. There are some <laughs> times throughout the day where I do the, oh, but that's okay. I love what I do. This is the greatest profession ever. So thank I you would so have much for being here today. Oh my goodness. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. Yes. A rare bird. Like I, I think I, I started like a, um, a scratch pad of people who've actually like went to school for this and made it their profession. Cause you are definitely rare. So that is, but I love to hear those memories <laughs> and hope to have, and I hope by doing podcasts and doing things like this, that we create more use. Well, and, and it's, it's, um okay that you didn't you know for those who didn't specifically do this this is quite a welcoming community oh no absolutely it's one of the beautiful things about our profession is because we have so many perspectives that ah look at that new perspectives and voices we have so many of those it's what makes our profession so unique um and and I love that. And so speaking of having a different perspective and not necessarily being involved in the volunteer manage it um, aspect, um, Eric, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, absolutely. So I'm an innovation consultant and I specialize in strategic foresight, uh, which we'll uh, have a longer discussion about today. Um, in my career for the last 30 years, I've always been the one who introduced emerging technology into new organizations to either uh, cut costs or to create new revenue streams. So I started coding with the first browsers with Mosaic and Netscape, and then was a web designer, web developer, web producer, adopted social media. And that's where my relationship with Adrian started. She had me come in and teach other volunteer managers how to use social media. So to create a social media strategy and to, um, for recruitment purposes or to share uh, what individual organizations were doing. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, things were really, really crazy. And um, Adrian's life was a, a little bit of turmoil. My hours had been cut with some of my clients uh, because we were forced at home. Um, and then we started talking together and everybody was uncertain about the future. And I said, well, wait a minute. I specialize in strategic foresight. I specialize at looking what the future looks like and what possible futures might look like. So why don't we combine uh, both our needs? You want to look forward and see what's going to happen in your own uh, industry or domain. Um, and I want to sharpen my mind because I've watched so much TV, ate so many chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> a few bottles of wine, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I was fattening the curve, not flattening it. Uh, so it's time to get back to work. <laughs> Sorry. 
And so we started, we wanted to see what's all this world going to look like. And at that moment, it was massive change. And what was really unique about it is almost everybody around the world was living that change at that time. Mm -hmm. And nobody had a clear understanding of what one year, three years, five years from now that would look like. And that's um, how we came about. And that's how this article came about as well with Aaron. Beautiful. And perfect segue, perfect segue. So if um, you haven't been following for the last couple of episodes, um, this all started when I had the opportunity to sit down with Erin Spink, the amazing Erin Spink, and we were talking about um, her uh, ebook, her most recent ebook that had come out, because right before she published it, I had talked about this year for my podcast, I wanted to talk to people with different perspectives and just hearing new voices in um, the industry because- um, so many, just like we were talking about a second ago, Adrian, it's just like so many people have come from so many different backgrounds um, who bring complete different perspectives. Um, and I wanted to start highlighting those um, to hear, just to hear different things and how different people see different things. Um, and so maybe, I don't know, a week or two after I, I had decided that this amazing ebook pops up in my LinkedIn feed and I'm like, Erin, we need to have a chat. And then after speaking with her, I was like, I need to speak to every person who contributed to this ebook because it was phenomenal. And a lot of it was things that I hadn't heard before, but more importantly, it was a lot of things that I had heard before, but from a different perspective, which was the whole point. And I just got so excited about it because it's what, it's, sometimes it's just like, we need like that extra, that extra like shot of adrenaline and just being able to see things from a different perspective, because it could be, um, you know, sometimes you can look at a picture a hundred times and get a different person. You just, you know, move to the right or move mm -hmm. to the left or turn a little bit. It's now a whole new picture. And that is what I felt happened with um with the ebook and so that was why I, I reached out to these lovely people here to have this conversation um and i love hearing the story about how you all came together to even put this to put it together and so i have many questions um one of them that i like to ask everybody is how many times did you have to revise it to get it down to like what was it like two pages <laughs> i was like goodness how are people able to do that Oh, it was actually, it's less than two pages. It's, I think, like 750 words. It is concise, to say the least. Um, it was uh, quite, it was It was not bad, actually. Uh, Eric and I haven't really worked together in this way before. So thank goodness for Google Docs. Uh, he would take a stab at it, and then I would go in and take a stab at it, and then um yeah it actually was was good and um I think our styles sort of complement each other because he's uh he's very smart and he puts things in a really great way and then I go in and make it a little more flowery and pretty and then he would say oh what are you doing and then he would do it that way and yeah it, it came together fairly fairly well love it yeah. yeah love it love it love it okay so for people who have not had the opportunity as yet to read it, and they need to, and I keep harping on it, um, the article that you all wrote is entitled Predicting the Future of Volunteer Engagement with Strategic Foresight. Um, so the first question that I'm going to ask is let's define strategic foresight. When you say that, what do you mean by that? It's the study of the future for Ooh. an individual purpose or, <laughs> or a specific goal. So there's two main activities that happen in strategic foresight. So the, um, the practice of looking towards the future, if you like. Um, one is uh, uh, trend research and analysis. And that's what we were talking about uh, when the pandemic hit and uh, what volunteer engagement might look like moving forward. The second part of it is uh, scenario planning, so scenario building and planning. So the first exercise, the trend research, is very, it's based on empirical evidence. 
Um, there's a lot of research using all research methods, both primary and secondary. Um, usually a lot of literature research that goes, uh, uh, or a literature uh, review that happens with it as well. Um, so, you know, steeped in some kind of uh, very sturdy research method, something that you can rely on. The scenario planning, however, is a creative endeavor. So it's all based on conjecture. And what you're looking for is plausibility. And in strategic foresight, we don't believe that there's one future and we don't believe that anybody can predict the future. What you can do is by studying the environment around you, you can start determining what different futures might look like. So if this continues, this type of behavior, um, this is a great, um, uh, a great example. So I was actually researching the future of work um, for an online course I'm developing this afternoon. And as I was looking at it, uh, there was there's a lot of discourse right now on hybrid work. Mm. And at first, um, all the big technological uh, uh, or the technology organizations were saying, no, no, from now on, people can continue working from home. Then when the restrictions started lifting, they were like, well, we'd really like you to come back to the office two or three times a week. And then now they want people to come back because the downtown cores are suffering or where there's big um, uh, office buildings, they're all suffering. All the businesses around those buildings are suffering. Uh, public transit is suffering. It really has a systemic impact. So that little hybrid uh, working method has an impact on multiple uh, aspects of society. Now it's a battle of wills uh, that is happening between the employees who want to stay home or work okay. uh, hybrid, a few days at home, a few days at work, and then uh, all the employers who want them back. So you have there a critical uncertainty. So if you were looking at scenarios, one scenario is that everybody goes back. That's at the far right. One scenario is that everybody stays home, but we all know the future is going to pan out somewhere around that horizon. Where it lands, though, is everybody's game because even a year, a year ago, um, they were saying, "No, you won't be, you won't have to go back to the office. You know, you'll be able to work remotely for the rest of your career." I mean, that changed uh, quite drastically, and that's what we realized when we did the initial uh, trend deck uh, for the volunteer engagement uh, on COVID. We had very um, uh, conservative horizon lines. We looked at what would happen a year from now, what would mm -hmm. happen in uh, three years and five years. Um, and the reason we did that, because it was anybody's game. Nobody could really determine what the impact of these trends would have moving forward. So it's fun to revisit. And in preparation for this podcast, I went back. And even though it was written in 2020, it's not that long. It's two and a half years. It felt... Well, we were quite accurate, so. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing too is it felt old. Mm. Like I was reading the document and it was like, oh my God, that feels like a million years ago, but things have drastically changed. So my role in all of this and in working, I've had the great opportunity now to work with a few volunteer managers is I bring the process, I facilitate the process, but all of you are really the subject matter experts. So I bring the process to you, we work collaboratively together, and then I ask those pointed questions that everybody around the table is afraid to ask. Oh, like then, what? What's that? Like well, what? You, people have inherited biases. Mm -hmm. So, um, or they have an angle they're trying to push. To push. Mm. So an example of it was if I was sitting down with an employer and they'd be like, oh no, in a, years from in a year from now, all our employees will be back in the office. And I'd say, well, um, what will be your strategy moving forward with employee churn? Mm. You know that if you force them to come back, X amount are not going to come back, which means you're going to have to rehire. Um, and then there's training. And then these are all things that are happening in volunteer management on a day-to-day. -day. So regardless of if there's profit or not, and it was one of the items in the article as well. So that's my role in this endeavor. Wow. That's, yeah. I'm, almost, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm sorry, my brain is still like <laughs> processing. Adrian, do you want to add anything onto that? And it was just, it was a huge gift working with Eric 
bringing that perspective. And, and I would encourage others in our sector to reach out to those outside of the sector. I think that when we bring in other perspectives, that's when we learn and grow. Yes. Um, when So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working for another organization. And like many of my peers, I was laid off. And I wasn't sure if I'd be coming back or not. And then the opportunity to change jobs came up. And it's like, well, sure, why not? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what my future was mm-hmm. the other place. And so, um, but I still had about a month and a half, two months where I was laid off. I wasn't working. And so during that time is when Eric and I started this work and it gave me a, it gave me something to focus on and work on, but it changed. It helped me change the way I look at things. Mm. I read things and analyze things and pay attention. Um, And so when I was in, when I was interviewing, when, cause you know, you get asked the question, what are the trends that are affecting the sector? Well, I could pull out while well, I was reading this and I was looking at this and I'm not just pulling out things from um, from volunteer engagement, you mm. know, because the reality is the entire community impacts volunteer engagement. Mm-hmm. We are not insular, right? But mm-hmm. my hospital where I work is impacted by everything that's going on in our community. And so when I could speak to the trends in my community and how that's impacting my hospital and my volunteer base, uh, you know, then then it stands me in better stead. It got me the job. And within, I remember my director saying to me, you're a visionary. <laughs> I've never been told that before and I hadn't um but so you know when you know I've been doing this for a long time but doing this process brought me to another level helped me learn new skills think more critically think more strategically really start to analyze and ask questions and you know as Eric's saying he's asking those questions you know even things like one of the trends we talked about was sort of related to the safety you know okay so um are volunteers coming back yes or no mm-hmm. okay well what's going to bring them back right okay if we bring them back where are they going where are they going to sit uh, you know, we used to cram 50 volunteers counting money in a back office. Oh, okay. Well, are we still collecting money? Mm. Are people going to still touch money? Um, can we still put 50 people in that same back office? Right. Um, and now they all want masks. Right. Who's paying for the masks? And, uh, you know, so there's all these questions like that Eric would ask because he's got, he doesn't care. Like, not that he doesn't care, but he doesn't have a director or a manager to report to. So he's not, he's got no skin in the game. Like, I'm just going to ask these questions. You figure out the answers. And, but having those questions come up helps you develop the strategies. And you need to have these questions. You need to have these conversations because in the end, it helps everyone which helps your organization, which helps deliver your mission, whatever your mission might be, and makes you stronger, makes your team stronger, and makes makes your organization, puts your organization as a whole in a much better place to deliver your mission. I love it. Okay, so asking the questions is very important, right? And Eric, I saw you were gonna yeah. say something, so I'll hold my question. Uh- <laughs> well, I love it. So she, uh, one key word she said was visionary and vision. And that's the whole point of strategic foresight is to be able to see what's coming down the pipe so that you can trust it. And the other thing that's really important, and I've seen it happen, is um, d- uh, properly crafting your question, applying a research methodology to it, because a, di- a question reworded will give a different outcome. And what I've been doing lately too is I've been really applying Eastern philosophy to it and going one step backwards to the question and thinking, what's your intent? 
So what, why are we doing this? So I remember one of the conversations Adrian and I were when she was furloughed, furloughed. I said, do you want to move up? You know, now is a great opportunity for you to start applying for those jobs that are a level up. And I said, well, you do realize that from a, a vision perspective, when you're doing day-to-day -day activities, you're looking only at a day or a week's time. And that's your sphere of the future. But when you're a manager, you might be looking at a month or you might even be looking at a few, like a quarter or a half year. When you become a director, all of a sudden you're thinking one year, three years, five years. And if you move up to the C-suite, then you're looking at how do I sustain this organization for the next 10 to 20 years? And then you backtrack and you make sure that all your day-to-day -day activities are aligned with where you're going. Now, Strategic Foresight offers you what will that environment look like in 20 years? Or are the activities you're doing now able to address the problems of that time? The other thing she mentioned, which is really great, is because we worked together, it was a collaborative uh, program. I facilitated the process, but she felt ownership on the trends, which meant that because she was part of the entire process and the research process, she could confidently sit when she was giving an interview because she knew them inside out. Mm. It wasn't a struggle. It wasn't, oh, Eric sent me a, a deck of 33 trends that are coming down the pipe. And they could be random trends that don't necessarily answer what her initial question was or what her intent. I mean, between you and I, the intent was to see what will happen after COVID. Right, <laughs> so I had a vested right. interest in it as well. But also one of the big intents was to help Adrienne continue her career, to not let this furlough be like the biggest hurdle and, you know, and to set her up so that she can move forward uh, in her professional life as well. So I find it's always more effective the more people are involved in the entire process. If you look, and the one sideline that I've noticed, I gave a strategic workshop last year. It was for um, people that uh, work with functional mushrooms. So you know there are four types of mushrooms. They're the ones that kill you, the one you eat, the one that give you a really good time. And then <laughs> I wasn't gonna use, yeah. And there are the ones that help you with, uh, that have are really big health benefits. Um, so we were working together and working on a strategic uh, foresight exercise. And what I realized was it actually, it brings a team together. So the more people you have involved, they get a sense of ownership of the entire work. And so as you're moving forward, you can go back to the work that you did together and go, Remember, we discussed this, this is what's happening. Um, so it solidifies the team, especially when you're talking about the future and it can be really, really nebulous. Oh, that's so, that's okay. So many great things. First of all, I'm glad that I waited to ask my question because you actually answered it. It was almost like there was ESPN in there. <laughs> now I know it's ESPN. I saw, I saw the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. Because I was so like- long. I was like, so I hear that it's very important to ask the questions, but how, like, what questions do you, do you ask? How do you ask them? Um, and what I kept hearing while you were talking was almost kind of like anyone who's been around a toddler, like, or, you know, a two-year-old or a three-year-old. And they're always like, but why? But why? And you give them the answer and they're like, but why? And then they give them the answer and they're like, but why? And you're like, would you... But just getting, just keeping to, like you said, dig at it and whatever it is, like, so, so that you can get to the foundation of what that is and figure out at the very, like, get you to the point where, like you said, you figure out the intent yeah. because that is going to help to build back up backwards everything that you are looking for. So the, the question that I then have is to volunteer engagement managers who are listening to this, who are like, but I am so caught up in the day-to-day. -day. That is so great. And I know it's so, that's wonderful, but I manage 5,000 volunteers. I'm the only one in my department. How, and, and I understand that doing this will be beneficial to me, but how do I even start? It seems very overwhelming. What would even be the first, like what is something small that I could do to even start down this path? The best thing to do to start 
um, apart from hiring a great facilitator. <laughs> so I had to plug. <laughs> um, actually, I, I, I would start with really defining what future you're thinking about. Mm. That would be my first start. So I would think, uh, because it'll give you different results and it'll give you a different horizon line. So am I thinking the future in a month from now? Mm. Or, am I thinking, or am I thinking the future in 15 years from now? Now that's really different for you and I. Um, in 15 years, I'll be probably re retired or really close. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so I'll be in that world. My life will be very different. The amount of energy that'll be, well, I hope I'm like Cher or like Jane Fonda or, and at 80, still have a million projects on the go. Yes. That's my, my, that's my desired future state. <laughs> if I can have a rap album coming out at 80, <laughs> um, I'm doing fine. So like, those who love you. it's a share example. So I can't sing or rap, so it's not going to happen. So it's not even plausible, but you know where I'm going with this. So timeline has a really big impact of where you're moving forward. So I would start with that. I would start with, okay, what future do I want to think about? And then the second thing is I would just take a moment and breathe and think what is happening around me today. And that would be my jumping start because that's how you start a trend research. So and, you start, yeah. And then, because I was gonna, I was gonna say, like, I, I really like that question because the what is, what is like, what is like affecting me today, like what, and that would make me, because usually it's from those pain points that you can develop that that future whatever it is and if identifying that this is a pain point why is this a pain point getting that data and then being able to come up with a plan based upon that so even if you can't right now look far out even if like if you're just like I'm going to take this week to identify my pain points that could be a jumping off start uh, a jumping off place to even to get started um Adrian were you going to say something yeah and I just like because I, I just want to sort of address like the 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 volunteer coordinator who is working yeah just running off their feet just trying to survive because I've been there mm -hmm. and and this is lovely to think about, you know, oh, I'll, I'll, to do these things. And yet you have to, because it's the only way out. To get otherwise, out. It's, you're, it's, wow. Otherwise, you are just going to keep churning. You're going to stay in the same place and you're going to just lose your mind. So um, I, I talk about the big rocks. So, and this was a workshop that I went to when I first started my career. And um, the the facilitator talked about, um, he had a, you know, the aquarium and you've got your big rocks, your medium rocks, and then the sand and your big rocks are the big things that you have to do. Your medium rocks are the medium, like the, mm. littler, the things that are still important, but you can do them. And then the sand and the sand is, it's your emails, answering the phones. It's like the people that walk into your office and take all your time, but yeah. don't actually accomplish anything. Yeah. And we spend our day with the sand. And that's all that stuff. And it takes all of our day and suddenly it's 3.30 and we haven't done our big, we haven't taken care of our big rocks. And and you have to make time for your big rocks. And whether that means you have to like physically go up and get a big old rock and put it on your desk to remind yourself to do it or put time in your calendar. Yeah. And if you have the luxury of, finding some quiet space somewhere in your office or in your car or coming in late or like talking to your manager, your director and saying, look, I need 15 minutes. I need half an hour once a day, once a week, two times a week, whatever it is, you need to gift that time to yourself. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I've been there. I've gone just like losing my mind there's so much I want to do and I'm so bogged down in the mire of and and don't don't get me wrong the sand is important mm 
because there's important things. Those are your clients. Those are those meetings that you have to get to. Those are right. the meetings you have to reply to. It's important, but it's not as important as putting together that project or putting together whatever that big rock is. So looking at those pain points, like what you and what Eric are saying, like, those are the important things. And if you don't take the time for it, you're never going to accomplish it. Yay. So make the time for yourself. I, was yeah. going, I love that. I just, um, adding a, a strategic foresight spin to it Thank is you. when you That's are in the sand, <laughs> when you are in the sand, all of a sudden three years have gone by. Yes. And you find yeah. yourself in a different world but still using probably the same services, products, or methods that you've mm. used. Um, and this goes out to all the doctors that still use paper files to this yeah. day. <laughs> but, and then it becomes even harder to change that system to address the changes that have happened. And if you had uh, gotten a big rock or carved some time out of your calendar, you might, you know, Things can go different ways, but you might have been able to address it sooner than later. Yeah. And and again, acknowledging it's not easy, but mm-hmm. you you're worth it. Like your clients are worth it. Your coworkers are worth it. And if you can't do it yourself, find someone in your in your team or within your company, your organization, and ask them to help you. Like there's someone on in your organization that's good at strategic thinking or that might know about strategic foresight or you could email eric you're welcome um <laughs> just putting it out there that's right um yes i didn't say you could email me but you could um like there are resources out there and and frankly uh in the field of, non, of you know volunteer engagement we are a helpful bunch. Yeah. So you can reach out to colleagues. And if you, uh, whether you're connected to your local AVA, Association for Volunteer Administrators, whether it's formally or informally, reach out for help because we know people. We're busy bodies. We know people. Um, But within your organization, within your sector, someone can help you figure out whether it's a strategy you need or a person you should talk to reach out for some help and guidance, but don't expect them to do it for you. You right. still got to work. Right. And so kind of flipping the script just a little bit, um, just to kind of help people get a little kickstart. What would you say are the trends, the big trends that are affecting volunteer management today? Um, obviously it's going to be a little bit different than it was three years ago, right around when the pandemic was hitting hard and everybody had one vision and everybody knew, oh, volunteering is down across the board. And now, you know, things are, places are opening back up and things like that. So that song has kind of faded just a little bit, not a hundred percent, but, but what is that new trend now that people are feeling safer, that people are coming back and obviously they're coming back differently. So what does that trend look like? I would refer to the three that are available in the article. I think um, they're still really, really salient right now. So there's the rising costs, so inflation, and that has a dramatic impact. Um, And then there's recruitment woes, so difficulty recruiting volunteers and keeping them. And then there's remote work, which we've talked a little bit, I was doing, but that has an impact on the type of volunteering that's happening. Um, After helping uh, Adrian for a number of years now and having a bit more time, uh, I started volunteering. Oh, yay! And so um, it's been six months. Uh, I actually really, really love it, and I look forward to it. Um, but I've seen, I've seen the impact of the rising costs and also the recruitment. So during Christmas time, we had a lot of corporate volunteers that would come and help us. Now that the nice weather is gone, um, there's less. Are they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it ebbs and flow, and it's a 
big. It's a, uh, it's a small local food bank, but it's, it's a big operation. Um, you know, between the two days, we can serve almost a thousand people mm. uh, in two afternoons. So we've seen the amount of donations shrink and we've seen the number of volunteers shrink. And because everything costs so much, what we used to do is we used to buy all the um, um, uh, produce or things that were missing uh, for the food bank. So we would supplement with cash donations but our buying power is less mm. now. So it's like this whole cycle. So Adrian, do you think those are still? I think well? they are. Um, and I would add a couple of things sort of more from a, from another perspective. Um, I think that uh, a couple of things we're seeing is that during the pandemic or be during the pandemic, we lost, and this is one of the trends that we identified as well, is that we lost a lot of uh, leaders of volunteers. Yes, we did. They've, they've retired. They've moved out of the sector. And the knowledge that they have is gone. And so now we have a lot of new people to the field. And they don't necessarily know where to start, what to yeah. do, what the basics are, yeah. who to reach out to, how to connect. What they podcasts maybe... to listen to? No, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> but they're listening now. So found at least one. Um, you know, I was talking to a colleague uh, at a volunteer center. It was like, yeah, we're getting people calling and coming in, which is great. But they don't know the first thing about how to engage volunteers. Um, and kudos to them for taking that first step to at least connect with a volunteer center. Yeah. Great. Great. But there's so much to learn, so much to know. Um, so I think that that is a huge challenge that is going to take time and it's going to take um, a lot of work to to fill in that knowledge those knowledge gaps and I think that um it's it's going to cause a lot of impact to, to organizations and to people uh that are impacted by organizations and uh the programs that they serve I think that there are a lot of trends that were sort of simmering before COVID uh -huh. and COVID has brought them forward yeah. So things like um, the way that people volunteer, and I think it sort of piggybacks on what you're saying, Eric, about, you know, um, hybrid volunteering. Well, organizations still ask for a one-year commitment from a volunteer. Well, if you've engaged young people, they do not necessarily want to volunteer for a year. And this is not a knock. This is just a statement of fact. Right. Um, but the time they give you is going to be fantastic. But they're not going to stay for a year unless you engage them well. You engage them the way they want to be engaged. You engage them meaningfully. Yes. And you give them what they need. You give them the tools. And then you get out of their way. Yeah. Like, this is the end product that we think we need what can you do and then you get it you support them you support them and help them and then like you've got an incredible volunteer you've got an incredible product but get out of their way but a lot of organizations still want okay first you come in and then you fill out this piece of paper and then you do this and then you do this so while the the trend was this you know these you know, the desire, the need for these long-term commitments, people don't want to give this way. And we're seeing that this is just being exasperated, that people aren't going to give this way. And now organizations don't have the capacity for it necessarily. Like, I just, I think that there's a lot of these things that were bubbling up before COVID and um, we're seeing the impact now. And there's probably people yelling at the, the the radio the radio wow oh, <laughs> whoa Gosh, we won't okay i know it um but people can be yelling right now because <laughs> i really 
I don't think there are just a couple of trends. I think everything impacts. And I think that it's unique to, it can be unique to your organization. Because I think on the flip side, you know, these impacts aren't bad. Like the that we've had to embrace digital resources. Oh my God, for years, I tried to get my organization to stop using paper. Yeah. The treaties are crying. Every time I would walk by, they would scream and they would sort of shudder. And now they're like, hey, because everything's online. Fantastic. You know, people who can't for, you know, that they've got physical limitations or budgetary constraints, they can't get into my office. They don't have to. Right. They volunteer and contribute to my cause in ways that don't entail coming into my office. Fantastic. Um, so I think, you know, there's really positive trends that are impacting our organizations as well. And I think that as we adopt a yes and mindset, yes, that's great. And we can also do this. It's great. I get very excited about these things. Can you tell? Yes. No. And I love it. So as these trends are happening and people see them, like I am a big, um, like as part of, and this kind of can all maybe like come together because one of like the big ways that I like to train people is through scenarios, right? Like let's say this happens. How would you respond? Let's say this happens. How would this, how would you respond? How would you respond? So as people are starting to see these trends and like you said, like, okay, well, um, I know let's, we want a young person to volunteer for a year. Right. And like, okay, let's say we make this one switch and figure out all the different scenarios. Do you think people, um, like do scenario planning properly, efficiently in a way that would really benefit them? Or are they doing it in such a way to where it's like, they're still making the outcome favorable because like, they're not being like <laughs> true to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What I've noticed in a lot of boardrooms is that it's not formalized. So they are doing scenario planning, but they don't know that they're doing it. Oh. And the other thing I, I've noticed too is nobody note takes. Oh. So and that <laughs> so everybody's like everybody it's almost instinctual. So you'll sort of lean back and say, well, if this moves forward, we would do this. And everybody around the table are like, oh yes, yes, yes. And then nobody's noted it down. Nobody's thought about what this might entail, what activities, what resources are required, how long it would take to deploy, uh, is, is it even feasible? Um, and then it's pushed aside. And then three weeks later, the same people are on the, and they're like, oh, we hadn't considered that. What happens? Oh, well, we talked about it at the last meeting. Yeah, um, is it still real? No, yeah, yeah, no, no and no note taken. Yeah. Then three weeks ago, it comes back on the table and then there's always the naysayer and they'll be like, no, we're not doing that. And then depending how much power in cloud they have, yeah, the whole activity gets shut down. Again, it's not noted. And then three years have gone by and then whatever they had predicted was going to happen. Because that's the really, really funny thing when you're doing scenarios and when you're uh in a room full of subject matter experts, they are able, from a heuristic pr uh, perspective, able to see where the future is going to land mm -hmm. with quite some accuracy, especially if it's in a five-year time frame. Like um, over and over, futurists say we're really good at predicting five years, and every after everything after that is like the toss of a coin. But I mean, you can imagine different scenarios; you can still work with that, but it's not as precise. So it's odd that they would have all this brain power and they're doing all this work, but there's no follow through. And then there's no uh, record of the work that they've done. So if a volunteer engagement leader, volunteer manager is listening to this and they may have never even heard of scenario planning, right? What would be like three tips to give them to be like, yes, number one, you should be doing this, but this is how to do it effectively or efficiently? Um, I would start by um, thinking of a pain point 
aura of a trend that's happening around you, that's always your starting point because you want it to be based in reality and not something, you know, uh, that might happen or not. You want that level of plausibility or possibility that's tied to it. So just start with one thing and it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be a phrase or a few words, but that's your jumping off point. Now, when doing scenario planning, because everybody's biased, I would always do the plus or minus. Well, so, everybody around, so everybody around the table says what their plus is. Like, I think the scenario, uh, the future is going to be like that. And that should be your baseline scenario. And then you should force everyone around the table to say, what if it doesn't happen? Like, what is the opposite of that? What do you do then? And every time I've done strategic work like that, nobody wants to talk about something failing. <laughs> nobody wants to be the devil's advocate. Yeah, nobody, like, no, it will never happen. But then they're surprised when some elements of that scenario, because we all know the future is going to land in between those two, those two scenarios, maybe to the, you know, positive one, maybe to the negative. Now, if you really want to challenge them, make them come up with an alternate, an alternative scenario. And this doesn't need to be onerous and it doesn't need to be long. It can be fun. It's a conversation around the table. But all of a sudden, you can do this in half an hour, 45 minutes, but note it down. And then all of a sudden, you have three scenarios which can inform your strategic plan moving forward. Okay. I want to do a sample one. It's not going to take 30 minutes. It's going to take like five. <laughs> I just, I want to do like a practice. Um, okay. Let's say we have a, uh, a new volunteer position to have IT volunteers. Okay. help out with computers okay so because let's say because i'm identifying the pain point we um the clients that we serve need help using the the need help using computers so let's bring in it volunteers so then the idea would be that's the idea right so then how do you like how do you scenario how do you how do you how do you do what you just said, but with that scenario? Okay. <laughs> so first I would dive a little bit deeper so that um, when you're looking at trends, um, the OCAD where I studied strategic foresight, the Ontario College of Art and Design, they define trends as behavior, observable behavior repeated over time. Okay. Okay. So you, so observable behavior um, over time by multiple people. Um, <laughs> And then, so you start off, so you have a whole new IT uh, people that are there, but to their main goal is to service your clients, right? Okay, so then I would either deep dig deeper down and look at who your clientele is because oh. different age groups have different relationships with technology and everybody is aging. So what I'm saying, so uh, one research study I did, I looked at older adults and the use of emerging technology to address certain of their issues, but I had to use two different groups. So I used, I was looking at a 20 year time frame. So I interviewed people that were already 65 and over to see what their relationship and how they interacted with technology and how they adopted it. But I also interviewed 40 pe uh, people in their 40s mm. because people in their 40s now would be 65 and over in a 20-year time frame. And since they've worked and they've had cell phones, their problems or uh, views of it. So that's where I would dig deep. Remember formulating that question where we got back? So when we were looking at the scenario, I'd say, okay, well, who is your clientele and where? what is their existing relationship with technology? And then we can better define maybe what the success rate will be for the IT people or make sure that the people you've hired are the right people to interact with this particular segment of society because all that will have an... So then all of a sudden you've got... Well, we can use two very black and white scenarios. So one is high success rate, all your clientele adopts this technology, everything. The flip side of it is like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> It didn't work well. They didn't adopt it. You know, like we can just start. And then I would challenge you for an extra one. But see, just by using these two ones, we'd go, okay, 
if it was successful, why was it successful? What are the steps that they did? How did they interact? Was it deployed? Um, uh, was the uh, vocabulary that they used, were they available? Um, uh, uh, were they uh, cognizant of this technology or were they educated using it? And then if it failed, okay, let's talk about why it failed. So what are things that could make it fail at that point? And to tie in like the scenario part, would that be something that you would talk about before even trying to implement it? Be like, okay, yes. this is why it could work. And then this is why it could fail. And Those then identify the all scenarios. Yes. Okay. So that is right. So, so you're, so the way you're describing it is like having those conversations before actually doing it. Like, so the yeah. first scenario is this worked and this is why. Yes. And the other scenario is, is this why it didn't work? So it's all predictive. That's yep. the whole foresight thing. Yeah. <laughs> love because it makes you start thinking before you waste time and effort and resources. And you get halfway in, it's like, oh, we never thought about that. We never thought about how much it might cost or the updates on the computer. Like, and it keeps you from, I love it because you can almost like drill down before making that first step, before getting in the middle of it and realizing like, oh, we should probably, we need to, we're at a stopping point. Nobody had, nobody thought of even thought about that. And then you can apply all the volunteer management and volunteer engagement pieces over top of that right so you're looking yeah. at role design and training and orientation and recruitment and you're looking at all those pieces over top of that to make sure that you've got the right fit the right all of that so again you're setting everyone up for success you're looking oh, at time love it. so all that deployment takes time so depending on who the new technology you're showing it to it might take six months but it might take two years so one of the jobs that I had, I was working with the Canadian television industry and we were rolling out PDFs at a time where Acrobat had just been introduced to the, so I had to call our clients and then I would spend on average an hour and a, an hour and a half to teach them how to download a plugin for their browser. <laughs> so that, because this was new, nobody knew what about, you know, how it was working out. So depending on the technology that you've hired and the people that you're dealing with, your whole project might take a year to two years. Once you've factored in education or usage, you'll want usage reviews. Like if you've used it, are people using it correctly? Is it working the way that you meant? Well, now you're in the future. Once all of this is deployed, you're actually in a different state. So is the software still good? Right. Your Do people have the hardware required yeah. to, or the bandwidth, the internet bandwidth? So, if anything, strategic foresight is always uh, you're playing with time. So, how do you help those people? who get analysis paralysis and they stay there and it's like foresight and they play and they play and they play and they play, and they play, and they play but then they never take the step to move forward because they're like, we have stayed in the foresight planning predictive, but then never move. Yeah. In innovation, there are two main activities. There's the front end of innovation where you all sit around a table and you dream up these great new products, services, or things that you could change in your organization. And then there's the back end of innovation, which is the ugly part. And that's where the politics come in. <laughs> and that's the navigating and the management uh, part of it. It's the really, really difficult part. So sitting around a table and coming up with scenarios and talking about solutions is very safe. And there's something when the creative energy comes, it's really, really great. Rolling it out, though, is a whole other challenge. And I find Adrian has incredible skills in mm -hmm. dealing and managing people like <laughs> and have years of experience managing groups of people to like implement new ideas. Adrian, do you want to talk about that? I think you just need a bossy boots in the room. Um, <laughs> but that's true. where you have project managers and you have people with other skills 
and you need to have buy-in and timelines and uh, prioritize. And it it's it, you take your dreams, and then you you decide what parts of your dreams are are feasible and what parts of your dreams are going to wait. And you know, it's you do you need to have, um, yeah, you just. I don't want to say you just do it, but yet you have to put it on. You've got to write it down. Yep. Decide on what gets done. And if, if you've got the luxury of a project manager, that would be amazing. The the reality is lots of us work in small little organizations and I sit here. Yes. And I recognize I'm sitting here with the luxury of working in a hospital, which is a gigantic organization. Um, I have worked in tiny little organizations where it's me and the ED and an administrist and like a marketing person. So I've worked in small little organizations where I don't have the luxury of a project manager. I've recruited someone. Um, and again, that's been great. Um, so um, there's a solution. There's not mm-hmm. always a perfect answer but there are solutions um i find that in our sector we've got lots of we've got lots of creativity um but and there's always someone who's going to hold your nose to the grindstone um find those stakeholders but you got to write it down you've got to hold yourself accountable and it's if it was easy everyone would do it I'm sorry. I know like I am an optimist and I am going to be your number one cheerleader, but I'm also a realist and you yeah. just got to do it. Just so, do it. Something that you said just really touched, right? Because especially like getting a, um, like a project manager, there are a lot of corporate volunteer um, companies like Taproot yeah. who people who want to donate their time in a, in a different capacity, but with the skills that they have and it is volunteering and they, and it's what they do for a living. So tapping into something like a tap route that would, because a lot of them, they want like a project based type of volunteer opportunity. They'll come in, they'll help with that project and then be done. It's not like an ongoing thing. So that being able to tap into something like that, which is where they came into the whole taproot i don't know i'm giving them a huge plug but whatever um y'all get the point um so but i say that because what you said also like resonated right like it's usually you and one other person and what's going on so do you feel like a lot of volunteer run organizations because of the um the personnel is not necessarily there that they end up, do they talk more about the future or do they react to whatever that pain point is? And if it is the latter, if they thought about the future, maybe that they wouldn't have to react so much to the pain point. (laughs) Like I said, the answer is yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but the, the reality is like, think about it. The last three years, we've all been just reacting. Yeah. Um, we just we've all been running on adrenaline and just reacting so yeah and and i think that the it is a luxury to be able to stop and plan and it's not just a luxury though i think we're at a point where you got to realize it's not a luxury it's an it's not a nicety it's a necessity right a lot uh one of the common definitions of anxiety is it's the fear of the future Mm. So there's nothing like talking about the future and planning for it to relieve some of some anxiety. Yeah. But I mean, we're also human and we're caught in our day-to-day struggles. And I think the reality is that it'll be a mixture of both. But if we can start, it's like exercising or eating right. If we can carve out time to, you know, devote and it doesn't need to be, you know, a, two days a week long, whatever, just a little bit of time to talk about what's happening in the world around us and what is the impact and implication moving forward. I love it. Yeah. I think I accidentally just like threw up signs too. Uh, I need to do that. I meant to like point, but my fingers were like in weird ways. So I didn't mean anything by that. Point. This has been amazing. Is there anything else that y'all just want to throw out there? 
about any okay. of this? So I would say, be careful of the trends you observe right now. They're not locked. Mm. So what I'm seeing mm. is um, we just talked about the massive change we all went through when the global pandemic started. And then uh, we're in a secondary change where it's been lifted. And if you think about it, all the, uh, the uh, security measures that have been lifted, it's still really recent. So things feel normal, but they're not what they were before. And you see that in the traffic and you see it in work schedule and you see it yep. how people are behaving. Yep. Um, one trend that I come to over and over is the loss of civility. And luckily that trend seems to be on its way down, but it's still very, you know, people are quick to criticize or to voice their opinions. Um, I in settings where, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think it'll take a little while before um, lifestyle trends are locked again. Mm. And I think, and that has an impact on everything everything oh i like that i like that just because it's a trend right now doesn't mean it's locked i like that i like yeah. that and i think i would encourage those of you listening or watching um to sort of try something new try something that might be outside of your comfort um like, as I said, I've been doing, I've been in this sector for a long time. I think that lifelong learning is the only way that we grow and succeed. Uh, I think that we are so lucky that we live um, in a time where technology enables us the opportunity to reach out and connect with people everywhere. I have connected with colleagues in Australia and the UK and States uh across Canada I I mean I didn't realize that Nicole you were down and you were in Florida until you dropped a dang it <laughs> <laughs> dang it y'all <laughs> Yo. um and and you know there are, and we also work in a profession where people are so generous with their time their talent um, not everyone, but so many people. Um, if the phrase strategic foresight is sort of daunting and you're not quite sure what that means, that's okay. Um, people who know what it is are happy to explain it. The number of times Eric and I were sitting there and he would sort of like, well, let me rephrase that. Mm -hmm. um, I would sort of rephrase or, re or ask the question in another way because He's the sector expert on this, and I'm the sector expert on the volunteer engagement things. And so between the two of us, we brought our knowledge together and created something really cool. And when you don't have to know everything, but when you know the people that know the things, then together, you know, lots of things. And, yes. you know, try yes. something new. Try something to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Try something new. And this was, you know, a great example. So thanks oh. for letting us talk and talk and talk. Of and course, talk and of talk course, of course. And just, just to piggyback on what you said, um, the, the podcast that aired last month, um, um, our guest, she said, there's no growth in the comfort zone. The, I, that just really like resonated with me when, um, when you said that it was just like, there was no growth in the comfort zone and collaboration. Um, we talked about yeah. that the podcast two months ago with um, Kayla and Tracy. They were talking about collaboration and how it made the article that much better, the work that they worked together that much better. Um, it reminded me of the African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. There is yeah. something about having the different perspectives, the different um, the different uh, strengths and different weaknesses that when you bring them together, there's nothing like it, nothing like it. And before we wrap, one last question I have, do either of you all have anything big on the horizon, any big projects that are coming up that you want our audience to know about? Well, actually, I'm publishing an introduction to strategic foresight course on Udemy or Udemy.com, and it should be ready in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that is amazing. Ah, oh, yes. So 
I will make sure to put the registration link down in the show notes um, once that's ready, because I know I want to sign up to take it because this has just been just eye-opening and I am so grateful and I would love to engage in that type of course. So I will be looking out for it. No, uh, thank you. No, thank you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do people reach you? Uh, uh, <laughs> Y'all both like, were like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody can reach me off my website. So it's ericleoblay.com. Okay. And it has my LinkedIn on it and it has a form to reach me. Wonderful. Uh, probably best just to find me on LinkedIn. Okay. And both of their information will be linked into the show notes. So definitely find them there. Thank you all both so much. <laughs> this was a great time. I haven't laughed this hard in a really long time. And the funny thing is, if you were listening or watching once we hit record, you didn't hear all the laughs. All the laughs came ahead of time, which is why I was cracking up so hard <laughs> when I was introducing people at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, but this was so great. This was so great. And I hope that this, um, I hope this session was very helpful to you. If you found it helpful, please make sure to like, share, subscribe, reach out to Eric, reach out to Adrian. <laughs> they are more than um, happy to help and chime in. And again, especially Adrian's been in the profession for 25 years there is so much knowledge that comes with that that she will be able to impart um so and and i try to encourage everybody every single time every single time um reach out connect on linkedin people always they always say they will but then they never do so i want to encourage you to actually do it like reach out and touch reach out and connect okay that is my story for the day Thank you so much for watching this episode of From the Suggestion Box, Navigating Feedback, the Good, the Bad, and the Say What? Bye-bye.